On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Mitch Light, the college football editor for The Athletic, as we discuss Clark Lee's hires so far, defensive coordinator Jesse Minter, and why the offensive coordinator hire is taking longer than usual. We also discuss the COVID issues within Vanderbilt men's and women's basketball and the Vandy boys getting their season started on February 19th. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 66. It is Wednesday, January 20th, getting well uh, pretty deep here into 2021. We are presented by Laco Fine Wood Floors. Well, we got a, a pretty good chunk of news today. Um, no basketball this week. Hopefully we get it Saturday, but man, COVID uh, is, is really kind of starting to flex its muscle on Vanderbilt. Yeah, it's been flexing its muscle in Vanderbilt and really seems to be focused on Vanderbilt more than any other SEC schools, but we'll touch on touch on that a little bit later. Yeah, COVID is pretty active there on West End. Uh, we will touch on that a little bit later. We also will be joined by Mitch Light. He is the college football editor for The Athletic. We'll talk Vanderbilt football, Clark Lee, touch on a little bit of basketball with him. He's a Vanderbilt graduate as well, so we'll dive into Vanderbilt with him. Jesse Minter is expected to join uh, Clark Lee's staff as the defensive coordinator, the Ravens defense. DB's coach, so we'll touch on that. Uh, Vanderbilt AM postponed as we touched on. Will, we'll talk about that. Vanderbilt women's basketball, done. They're uh, donezo. So uh, we will touch a little bit on that and kind of the future of Stephanie White uh, on West End. And the SEC baseball schedule, uh, the conference schedule has been released. So we will also uh, dive into that a little bit. But before we get to breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and uh, Instagram, door underscore report on Twitter, door dot report on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, it's time for breaking news. Today's breaking news is brought to you by the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers Graydon and Chapman and their dad. Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter living in Westmead. The Recycling Dudes recognize the need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. All right, Will, uh, Jesse Minter. He is expected to be the defensive coordinator. You've got loads of stats on this guy, and I'm impressed, Will. I mean, I you know, both of us have been pretty impressed by most of Clark Lee's hires so far. We are still waiting on an offensive coordinator. Uh, I think we're still waiting on Norval McKenzie to become official. Um, but, you know, Mitch Light touched on it. He's being deliberate, and a lot of Vanderbilt fans have respect for, you know, for him for that matter. Uh, but, Will, give us, give us the lowdown here on Mentor. And, and, you know, what, what kind of he brings uh, to the table here, here for Vanderbilt. Yeah, so we all know that he's the secondary coach or defensive back coach for the Baltimore Ravens, who, whose defense has been extremely good, and he's been their coach for four seasons. Um, before that, he was coaching at the collegiate level for 11 seasons. Most recently at the collegiate level, he coached for Georgia State. 
um, at served as their defensive coordinator. And some stats at the collegiate level before I kind of touch on his more recent recent statistics with the Ravens in 2013 um, when he became coordinator. Obviously, Georgia State was starting up that pro or moving that program to FBS, mm -hmm. starting up that program. Um, they gave up 36.7 points per game and ranked 112th out of 125. Not great. Um, in 2014, they were dead last, 128 out of 128 um, on the defensive side of the ball, giving up an astonishing, honestly, 43.3 points per game. Um, and then you see his work uh, kind of start to come into play. Yeah. Um, in 2015, they moved up to 79th out of 128 with 28.3 points per game, mm -hmm. starting to get some of his recruits that fit his system in there, kind of what he wants. And then in 2016, uh, before he made the move to the Baltimore Ravens, uh, they were only giving up 26 points per game, ranking 54th in the country. Not great, um, but when you look at from where they started two years prior, they were ranked dead last. And then after, his guys are obviously still there in 2017. Um, they moved up to 48th. And then ever since then, it has been a precipitous decline for that Georgia State defense in 2018 and 2019, uh, ranked in the bottom 10 in giving up points per game. And uh, when he was the uh, secondary coach for the Ravens this most recent mm -hmm. season, obviously their defense is very talented in, in every aspect. But oh, yeah. The Ravens faced the sixth most pass attempts against uh, because they did tend to jump out to an early lead over teams be being very talented with obviously Lamar Jackson at quarterback there. Um, but they only allowed, even against those sixth most attempts, um, they only allowed the sixth most passing yards in the NFL and the fifth most um, passing touchdowns. So they were top five, top six in their pass defense. And another thing that hasn't really been touched on with Clark Lee is his specialty on the defensive side of the ball, at least at Notre Dame, um, has been stopping the run. Uh, they were ranked 16th uh, in rushing yards per game allowed in the entire NCAA and the FBS, um, but their passing yards per game were 61st. So they were middle of the pack to below average in power five facing the pass. So a major key for a defensive coordinator moving into that head coaching role isn't going to be finding an experienced defensive coordinator to take over that side of the ball, like what uh, Lee is probably looking for in that offensive coordinator position. It's finding somebody to complement him um, and come into his system and, and basically integrate what his weaknesses are, Clark Lee's weaknesses, integrate um, a defensive coordinator with those strengths, kind of similar to what Mason tried to do with Jason Tarver. Mm -hmm. Obviously that didn't work out for Mason, but hopefully we'll see uh, some results that are a little bit different this, this go round um, with Jesse Mentor here moving into that defensive coordinator position. Yeah, the first thing that steps out, that jumps out to me with Mentor, Will, is kind of the connection to Brian Kelly. Uh, he worked as a grad assistant under Kelly at Cincinnati, where Rick Mentor, his dad, was previously the head coach. So Clark Lee and and uh, and the Mentor kind of family have definitely um, crossed paths. And and you know, I I think. I, obviously Clark Lee is going to have a, a huge imprint on this defense. I mean, he, he, he's known for his defensive prowess and, and it seems like um, to me that what, what, it, what might happen with these two is that Clark will be, I'm not going to say he's going to call defensive plays, but he's going to have a huge imprint and mentor will be, um, you know, kind of that guy on the sideline motioning to his guys because he, you know, he was on the sideline for Baltimore um, as their DBs coach. So again, I love the hire. Um, you know, I've been pretty satisfied with a lot of the Clark Lee hires so far. Um, and, and will the defensive coordinator obviously is a huge hire, but the offensive coordinator is the one that, you know, we're really looking forward to. So, uh, and we talked to this about with Mitch, you know, why, why it, it might be taking somewhat longer. And he said, he's, he's just a deliberate guy. 
And, and, you know, I would rather see him take more time than, than rush on a guy and, and we start questioning him, you know? So I, I think, I think the offensive coordinator obviously is the most important hire and, and, and who he, you know, who he gets is going to, is going to depend a lot on, on, on what we get from Ken Seals because their relationship is going to be crucial. Yeah, it, I think me and you are in agreement that Ken Seals is the guy for the next at least three years, possibly four years. So mm -hmm. finding a guy that fits comfortably with Clark Lee, but also I think Ken Seals probably needs to be involved somewhat in this decision. Mm -hmm. it, from what we saw last year in an all-SEC slate as a true freshman, I think it's pretty undeniable that he was pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, regardless if you're a Vanderbilt fan or not, even if the stats aren't don't jump off the page. I mean, that offensive line was a ragtag group that actually performed well. Mm -hmm. um, he had some good receivers, and his running game was pretty much not. And so it, it was an impressive year from, from Seals, and I think it's something that Vanderbilt's definitely going to want to build on and certainly don't want to alienate him uh, by choosing an offensive coordinator that doesn't really fit his skill set. Yeah, and, and going back to the defensive side, one of the guys that, um, that Clark and as well as Jesse Minter there on defense is going to be getting back is Donovan Kaufman, and he has been cleared to practice. Huge. Just a huge get, um, you know, because he was out, you know, after the, what, first, first two weeks um, of last season. So, um, again, Kaufman's athletic kid, and, and he is a guy they need uh, definitely on the back end of that defense next season. But, Will, let's, let's roll on here. Vanderbilt men's basketball, their COVID issues uh, continue. Um, and, and, Will, this is – you can – as a fan, you can look at this um, kind of a multitude of ways, but, you know, the facts are what the facts are. In the press release said, in quote, uh, you know, due to a combination of po positive tests, contact tracing, and subsequent quarantining of individuals in the program, this game has been postponed. Now, um, I think my thing is, Will, you know, I, I thought – coming into this college basketball season, say a game's postponed, there's an automatic two week quarantine. And, you know, I, you know, I think, I guess college basketball is kind of learning on the fly. They're kind of adjusting. They have to adjust at the, you know, fly by the seat of their pants. Um, but the all signs point to this being a couple or a few guys um, that are still affected for Vanderbilt and they just didn't have enough numbers um, to go against A&M. Yeah. I don't know. We were discussing this beforehand. I don't know what Vanderbilt is doing wrong. We don't know the inner workings of it, but from football to men's basketball to women's basketball, we have had all sorts of issues. I don't know if the university has sanctioned kissing parties in the dorm rooms like we're in <laughs> middle school again. Um, I don't know what's going on, but it, it's across every program. And I can almost guarantee, I don't want to go on record saying this, got to knock on wood. I can almost guarantee that under Tim Corbin, you will not see pervasive COVID-19 issues no. associated with that baseball program. No um, and I don't know if it's the athletes. It's got to be the athletes disobeying the, the rules regarding their quarantining. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense or staff yeah. members. But between Vanderbilt men's basketball, I believe this is the third or fourth time already that they've had to pause activities due to COVID-19 positive tests. And then what we're going to be talking about in a second, which for the second podcast in a row, we're going to be touching on women's basketball, mm -hmm. um, which I don't think has ever been done here on the door before. <laughs> they, they've completely canceled the rest of the remainder of their season, which Tons is of. pretty amazing. Yeah, that's I mean, that's something I don't think anyone really expected, you know, from from a Vanderbilt team that, you know, head coach by Stephanie White, a kind of kind of a, a, another season they were looking forward to having. Um, you know, like you said, we don't talk a lot of women's basketball, but um, kind of back to the men's side, Will, this, these guys want to play. You know, Coach Stackhouse wants to play. 
this is, you know, for people, for anyone out there saying this is um, kind of an a, a, the scapegoat to this team, you know, not wanting to play AM like just kind of like in football when when a lot of people were kind of attacking Vanderbilt for for you know this is a numbers thing. You know, the Vanderbilt's not going to go out there and put seven eight guys on the on the court. You know, they that's not they can't do that. So you know that that's kind of you know the the attack that, that kind of they have to deal with right now, but we'll, we'll see if they play Saturday. Uh, they, you know, Mitch was, <laughs> Mitch made a joke. I said, they'll play in, they're playing Saturday. He goes, I don't know. So, so we will, <laughs> we, we will see uh, noon is the tip time there against Arkansas on the sec network. And will, I mean, anything else on women's, I mean, their season's done. I guess what, what the conversation point is now is what's going to happen with Stephanie white, because, you know, is is this an indictment on her, or is this something that Vanderbilt just just had to do? So you know, this 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 doesn't really have anything to do with her. So, but yeah, I, and, I I don't know. It may be a little surprising to you. I actually would love to touch on touch on women's basketball and Stephanie White. It, I can't say that I sit down and watch every game, but I do keep up with the results, and uh, I do keep up with how that program is going. And if this this was a coach not with the women's basketball program. I think you would be hearing a lot more calls for her job and people saying that it's unacceptable. And you already hear a lot from it. But when you look at this Vanderbilt women's basketball program, traditionally it was very successful under Melanie Balcom um, and then yeah. under Jim Foster in the late 90s, early 2000s. So Stephanie White's record so far is 13 and 55 in conference, 46 and 83 overall with uh, a 7-24, and 7-23 and 23 season. Um, and then she started out 0-3 in conference this year. And there were obviously other circumstances. They had some players that due to medical issues were not able to play this year, and they didn't have the numbers like you mentioned with the men's basketball program. But canceling the season is a pretty big step, and I would highly doubt that, that someone that has been as awful as Stephanie White has as the coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores not just in record, but in creating a lot of distractions and, and negative media attention around that program re relating to a lot of issues, whether it's social justice issues, political issues, a lot of people, a Vanderbilt fans specifically go to find an escape from that. Mm -hmm. and, and that hasn't really happened with that women's basketball program. And I would be really, really surprised if she's ever on the uh, baseline of Memorial Gymnasium. Again. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement. Will we will have, you know, we'll wait and see on that. Uh, you know, obviously their season's done and, and I can't imagine how those girls are feeling right now. And even Stephanie mm -hmm. White, you know, they're, I mean, you know, that's just so tough to deal with. So, um, you know, we'll see what, what does end up happening there. But um, again, Will, that it's just so tough because you look at, you know, the women's basketball and, and, and it, of course, men's basketball, we knew coming into this COVID type of season that Vanderbilt University, their athletic department was not necessarily fit to to kind of plow through this. You know, they are going to they're going to be treading water. So, again, they, they tread a lot of water in football and they are continuing to tread more water. We'll see about baseball again. We're. I'm in agreement with you, Will. I don't think they'll have many issues because of their depth. So, and they're obviously a perennial powerhouse. Um, but I will let's touch on a little bit here. Uh, they they have their in-conference schedule. Um, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter are going to be fun to watch. And, and these two guys, they'll start it February 19th through the 21st against Wright State. And then uh, they will open up against South Carolina. So, Will, it's going to be a fun season to watch. I think Vanderbilt fans are all looking forward to, to getting past the, the football and basketball season and, and, and watching a, a fun baseball team. Yeah, I think every single Vanderbilt fan is, 
is ready to watch a well-run and talented program after this football season, this basketball season, men's and women's so far. And I can't say that that I'm the in-depth guy for baseball. I obviously watch Vanderbilt, but outside of Vanderbilt, um, I don't watch a ton of MLB baseball. But I am looking forward to this season and Vanderbilt the Vandy boys are still the defending and reigning national champions, even though um, there was no national champion last season. So I do want to see that played up and, and it's always nice to actually see Vanderbilt put some W's in that, in that win column. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And they will start the sec slate uh, on March 19th against South Carolina. They will come to the Hawk. We'll be talking a lot more baseball a little bit later, but will one more note before we close out and get to Mitch light. Jeff Nixon, he is the Carolina Panthers running backs coach. Apparently, he's getting a lot of steam right now for the Vanderbilt OC opening. So, again, we'll, we'll continue to monitor that. That's what we have right now. Uh, but, Will, real quick, uh, as we get into Mitch Light, this was really fun. And, and Mitch is kind of the go-to guy for, um, you know, for, for Vanderbilt football because he has a lot of experience there on the sideline. I don't you know, maybe not necessarily top guy. There's a lot of, you know, guys, you know, that, that, that love talking Vanderbilt football. But this was, this was fun. Yeah, he had a lot of similar opinions to me on on uh, who he wanted as the head coaching hire between Clark Lee and Will Healy and, and his opinions on Vanderbilt basketball and kind of the direction that they could possibly be heading in and the direction of that football program. It was, it was a really fun conversation. No doubt about it. We're going to roll in right now with Mitch Light here on the Door Report, episode 66, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. We got Mitch Light, the college football editor for The Athletic, coming right up. Stay tuned. Before we get to our interview with Mitch Light, the college football editor for The Athletic, it's now time to send it over to Gary Scales for a few words on our presenting sponsor, Alaco Fine Wood Floors. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by logging on to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Com, or by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Perfect floors, whatever your style. Welcome back into the Door Report. Alongside Will Byram, and I'm Billy Derrick, and we are happy now to be joined by Mitch Light. He is the college football editor at The Athletic and formerly the sideline reporter for Vanderbilt Football uh, on the Learfield IMG Sports Network. Mitch, thank you so much for taking the time. No problem, Billy. Happy to do it. No doubt. And, and Mitch, I want to start, obviously, with, with Clark Lee, um, you know, name being named the new Vanderbilt football coach. A lot of excitement um, right now on West End, uh, you know, especially with a lot of the hires being made right now. I want to start from the beginning. Um, you know, when the coaching search began, um, what was your initial opinion on, on Clark Lee? And then when when it was made, when it was a done deal, what, um, you know, what was kind of swirling through your head? Well, I went into this, Billy, and, you know, I follow, you know, for my 18 years at Athlon Sports and then now at The Athletic, I kind of know, know a little bit about college football and especially coaches. You know, one thing I did at Athlon is I paid a lot of attention to coaching hires, and every year in our magazine I would write something ranking the first-year hires. So I did a, did a lot of deep dives into coaches. So um, I thought that going into this, and I've said this many times, that Vanderbilt was in a great position because there was just a really good crop of – candidates of you know mid-major coaches you know different schools swim in different waters Auburn swims in a different water different waters for their coach not that 
the, the guys at Vanderbilt was looking at wouldn't be good coaches at Auburn. But you know what I'm saying? Schools, their fans kind of demand a higher, higher profile. The type of coach that Vanderbilt was looking at, I thought there was just a great pool. And Clark Lee was a name we all said right away. Will Healy was a name we all said right away. Jamie Chadwell. Um, Lance Leipold at Buffalo is a great coach. If you don't know much about him, go look at his Wikipedia page. So I, I, I thought that unless there was just something out of left field and a crazy hire, I thought Vanderbilt was going to get a, a coach that made a lot of sense. As we all know, there's no guarantees in this. You know, just look at Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, Scott Frost at Nebraska, Chip Kelly at UCLA, three of the biggest quote-unquote slam dunks in college coaching in recent years and all struggling for – for different reasons. So all you can do is, is hire a guy that you think is going to do a good job. So I, I went into it kind of 51% Clark Lee, 49% Will Healy, depending on the day of the week okay. or the time of the day. And, and, and knew I, but again, I would have been happy with, with Lance Leipold. Yeah. I, just a really good coach. Probably wouldn't have excited people as much. Would have taken, wouldn't have quote unquote won the press conference. Not that that really matters, but um, a good coach. And, and then just talking to people who know Clark Lee, I just became sold that he was the guy. I mean, you, you just didn't hear one bad word about him. Sure, he hasn't been a head coach, lacks that experience, but from an organizational standpoint, I, I know people who know some Notre Dame players, they all raved about him. The, the, two, the two people that cover Notre Dame at The Athletic, uh, Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna, mm -hmm. just rave about him. So I, I thought it was a hire that made perfect sense. Clearly a guy that wants to be here has been pointing towards this job. So again, I, I thought, you know, so some years the candidate pool isn't as good. Like when Vanderbilt hired, you know, hired Derek Mason, it was Derek Mason and, and um, uh, the former Arkansas coach, John, John a blank on his name, uh, Clemson offensive coordinator. Yes. Chad, um, you know, Chad Morris. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't we think of that? So, you know, both <laughs> those guys had fine resumes that fit the profile for Vanderbilt, but again, I think the, the, the pool was a lot better this time around mm -hmm. um and you know Vanderbilt clearly maybe had more to offer too you know it was a, maybe Vanderbilt's more attractive job based on some of the other things going on now than it was seven years ago so my long-winded answer Billy I thought it was a Vanderbilt was in a position of strength and made a very good hire yeah you touched on that you were kind of 51 percent Clark Lee 49 percent Healy and I would put myself almost on that exact ranking how you said uh by, by the day of the week it changed but a lot of my not being more on on board with Lee is something you're not supposed to do. But this is almost exactly the same conversations we were having when Derek Mason was hired, that he was an incredible fit coming from a program that, that had similar academic standards. Is there anything about Lee that kind of lessens those he that hesitance that you may have of, of having a guy that's very similar to the last head coach that didn't work out? I understand that argument but i i think it's not fair to either guy there's just there's they're two different people and you know it's just they both have their strengths and the i assume clark lee has weaknesses i've never heard them no, um <laughs> you know it I, I just it's i don't i hate to use the word lazy i'm not trying to insult anyone that you know that it, it's easy to say oh they hired a defensive coordinator from an academic school again they're, they're just different people they have different strengths they, they've come about this they've come up through the profession different ways so so um, I know Candace Lee said going in that, you know, head coaching experience, offensive, you know, minded, but you, you can't pin yourself in like that. You need to hire the best candidate. And just because the last coach who you hired as a defensive coordinator from an academic school didn't work out, 
you know, d- what if Vanderbilt just didn't hire Clark Lee because he had that profile and then he goes to another school and has a great career. It's like, oh, we didn't, you, you know, let me tell you, we from the administration, oh, we just didn't hire him because he was too much like Derek Mason. So again, understand that argument. I just don't subscribe to it. Yeah, I 100% agree with exactly what you said. It's kind of a lazy argument. And I think Vanderbilt was almost put into a spot once it became known that Lee had real interest in that job and he had such a high profile as a candidate that Vanderbilt almost had to make this move because if they didn't successful somewhere else, then they would be looking back for years and years saying we really screwed up that process just because we were scared of getting high. But kind of shifting over to some staff, um, it's expected that Jesse Mentor, the secondary coach or secondary coach with the Baltimore Ravens, is expected to be named the defensive coordinator on his staff. Do you, have you looked into Mentor at all, or, or do you have any opinions about him as a coach? I think uh, I think Mitch Light broke up a little bit, yeah. uh, so we'll we'll wait till we get Mitch back. <laughs> but uh, but Will, let's talk about it. <laughs> Mitch, yeah, we don't didn't claim to know a lot about him. Yeah, we lost oh. you for a second there. <laughs> so so whatever you're saying, we we may have missed. You. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, Mitch. Okay, because I I thought I lost. Okay, okay, so. Um, I, you know, I didn't claim to know a ton about Jesse Mentor. I'm familiar with his dad. I'm obviously older than you guys. And Rick Mentor is a, you know, a, a good head coach at Cincinnati for a long time, was at Notre Dame. Um, but it's funny because I talked earlier about following coaches and, and looking up tenures. He was on that staff from Indiana State that went to, um, that went to Georgia State. And again, I'm, I guess I'm showing my age because I, I, I know this guy well, but I can't think of his name, the former uh, Georgia State head coaches, they were transitioning, uh, took over an Indiana State program, uh, FCS, that was horrible. They're just like, you know how people say with Will Healy that, that Austin P was like the worst program in the country. Well, Indiana State was like the worst program in the country. And the, the staff did a great job at Indiana State winning records and then got hired to Georgia State. And I was so when I Googled Jess Mentor, I was like, oh, he was on that staff. So, I mean, the head coach gets the responsibility. But again, so he's got a good pedigree. Um, if you're coaching defensive football for the Ravens, you probably know what you're doing. So, um, and that's probably what took so long. You know, not a lot. Clark's done a very good job of keeping this close to the vest. And I assume that he had already talked to Jesse for, uh, about this. And now that the Ravens lost, so, you know, it, it, it looks like it's going to happen. So, um, looks like a good hire, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a guy that we've all seen at a different college and we can look at, go to CFB stats and look at his defensive ratings. You know, he's quote unquote, just a secondary coach, but appears to be a solid hire. No doubt. And, and, you know, a lot of the other hires have, have, have seemed to be solid, you know, and, and a lot of Vanderbilt fans really getting excited about him. I want to ask you kind of about the, the staff right now as a whole, you know, there's still a few more hires to be made, Mitch, but what does that say about Clark Lee's pull on these coaches and, and his, and kind of his reputation within the ranks of college football, because I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans are realizing very quickly that he knows a lot of people and he's done and he's worked with a lot of high pro- profile coaches. Yeah. Trent miles is name. Not that you guys cared, but I was, was <laughs> killing me that I couldn't think of his name. Um, go- Google him and see how bad Indiana state was when he got there. No, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, it's impressive for a couple of reasons. Um, Every, well, the first three coaches that were made public or were reported on were Justin Lustig, you know, uh, Brecken, Breck Turfield and uh, Norval McKenzie. Uh, all, all came from other Power 5 schools, similar jobs. Uh-huh. So it goes to your point about, you know, knowing a lot of coaches, coaches respecting him, leaving good jobs. But I think it also says that Vanderbilt's clearly paying some money, you know, that these guys aren't going to leave for, for, for less money. So I, I think that's good. And, and I, I don't want to turn this into a, 
you know, ripping on uh, Derek Mason, but we can all look back and say his first staff just wasn't very good. He had to make some immediate staff changes in every I went back and looked at this every member of Mason's first staff except for the linebackers coach who had been the defensive coordinator at San Jose State basically took a big jump up to Mm -hmm. to come to Vanderbilt whether it was Kotulski who was the linebackers coach at Stanford became the defensive coordinator Um, the wide receivers coach had been an assistant wide receivers coach with the Texans so you guys are seeing I'm saying where the first hires that that Clark Lee is making these are lateral moves from other FBS programs or power five programs not that you know, plucking a, a a linebackers coach and making him a coordinator doesn't work out. It just kind of shows you, uh, Billy, to your point there. So, yeah, and, and I thought, um, you know, nothing's official yet, but, you know, Pete Russomondo looks like he's staying on as the offensive line coach. And if you watched, if you knew Vanderbilt's personnel heading into the 2020 season based on the opt-outs and saw the injuries that it had during the season and watched the offensive line, I mean, I, I don't know much about playing offensive line, but I could tell that guy knew what he was doing. He was yeah. a good coach. So I was glad to see they held on to Pete Rossamondo. I think we're all glad to see Javon Hay back, um, a, a good recruiter and a guy we all like watching play there. So, uh, so yeah, it looks like uh, he's being very deliberate, and that's probably going to be your, your next question about some of the speed uh, of the hires. So, so go ahead. But yeah. uh, so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, so far, so good. And and Mitch, I do want to add kind of a smaller note. It doesn't seem like he's made kind of, um, you know, sometimes coaches, they make a hire where it's, it's like, oh, you know, who's that? You know, we, we don't know this guy. But it, it seems like for Clark Lee, there hasn't really been any slip ups. It, it's kind of been, OK, good job, Clark. And, and it's not kind of patting him on my back like. This, this guy really knows what he's doing. So, but yes, I do want to touch on the offensive coordinator and, and, you know, we're not, we're not bashing Clark for, for, um, you know, for taking, uh, you know, somewhat longer on this hire, but Mitch, why, why do you think that is? Because he did say that this is one of the uh, more important hires, obviously and it's for any head coach, but he said the strength coach and offensive coordinator, are the two most important hires. Why do you think that, um, you know, process has taken a little, taken a little bit longer than, than most? Well, we, you know, we, we don't really know. Um, I, I yeah. think though, he has been, the landscape has changed in recent years and this year specifically. Used to be if you got named like when Derek Mace was named head coach in mid January or whatever it was, he had signing day in like two or three weeks. He had to get a staff or most of his staff named. Clark Lee's hired most of the signees. I'm sure they'll sign a few guys in February, but most of his the, the class is signed. And because of the pandemic and the way Vanderbilt's structuring its semester their students aren't coming back like whatever January 8th, like it usually is it's January 25th or whatever. I know some of the football players are back. So it's, it's not like you need to get your offensive quarter in there because you have, you have a staff, you have a team meeting on January 8th there. So I just think he's a deliberate guy. And I know what Mike Canales was one of the guys that he looked at yeah. from Seattle. So maybe that had something to do with the Seahawks to playing. It looks like he's not coming. So I think we all are very curious to who it's going to be, but I think he's just a deliberate guy and, and wants to do it his way. You know, if you ask him, would you have rather had your offensive coordinator hired? He'd probably say sure, but I don't think it's, you know, in six months or two years, it's not going to matter whether or not the offensive coordinator was hired January 10th <laughs> or January 25th. So, um, you know, I, I expect we'll, we'll hear something soon, but, you know, it, it's again, he's, he's doing a good job keeping it close to the best. And we haven't really heard a lot we, about this, but there were a lot of players that transferred or opted out or, or chose to leave the Vanderbilt program throughout the season and even during the season. Have you heard anything about guys leaving the program since Clark Lee was hired and, and uh, he really kind of cleaned house for the most part outside of a couple guys and really replaced that staff? Have, there, have you heard anything about potential in, in that aspect? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It seems like most of the guys that announced they were transferring did so before 
before Clark was hired. Maybe not. Maybe like Randall Haney, some some grad transfers. And um, I know Vanderbilt fans think, oh, so many transfers. Believe me, I follow this stuff really closely. Every there's transfers all over the place with the you know. Um, first of all, with the it hasn't passed yet, but most people think the NCAA will soon. They kind of kicked it down down the kicked it down the road a little bit about the the one-time free transfer thinking thing where it'll be easier to transfer you won't have to sit out a year so but i'm clark's clearly taking over a roster that's depleted um the numbers aren't great um i I work closely with our south carolina writer uh josh kendall and 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 shane beamer's dealing with the same thing at south carolina a lot lot of uh opt-outs and transfers there so it's not ideal uh, but I, you know, uh, to specifically answer your question, I don't think there's been a lot of guys that since he's been, you know, named head coach have departed. Yeah. Before we change over to the hardwood here, since it is actually basketball season, even though it feels like half of Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's games have been suspended yeah. or, uh, <laughs> or postponed. Um, what about our, uh, rival out East and this whole McDonald's bag full of cash and everything? Uh, I, I just want to hear some comments from you. How much, how much truth is there to that, Mitch? <laughs> I don't believe it at all. And, you know, it's made the rounds. Dan Patrick said it on his radio show, a yes. very well-respected national radio voice, but you go back and look at a lot of things Dan Patrick said this summer about college football, yeah. about the big 10. Yeah, who's, Not, the, who's who's his source, Mitch? Yeah, he he doesn't have a very good hit rate, so <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, Tennessee was clearly rec- recruiting violations. I mean, yeah. I kind of heard that that was the word and all that stuff, but I would be shocked if there was cash in McDonald's bags and a lot of Tennessee people pushed back. And these are the same people that said, yeah, we know we've got some stuff going on here. So, I mean, a lot of people have fun with it. There's clearly a lot of turmoil there, but specifically i would find that very hard to believe hey we, we we might all i might be wrong dan patrick might have the best source but uh I, again that's that's stuff fun to talk about but i, I don't believe yeah it. i i know a lot of tennessee people that actually laugh at it themselves too so that's um yeah. that's kind of where they're at right now uh let's go over to basketball mitch um it's been a very interesting season for the commodores and year two of coach stackhouse and i think some vanderbilt fans were you know really curious to see what they would get from this team this year uh you know from your point of view perspective watching them so far uh what have been kind of the thoughts so far uh, yeah I, I find myself to be kind of a prisoner of the moment too many times watching this team like I'll watch them play against Kentucky and you're like okay I, I get it I can see where this can be a good core you know I, I think Scotty Pippen's clearly a, a a good really good college player I think Dylan DeSue is it looks like he's finally playing with some more consistency I think Miles Studi has a chance to be good um there, there are some pieces here, but then you watch other games like the Tennessee game in the, in the Florida game, and you're like, just there's no, they're just lacking in lacking the overall talent department. I think we, we, it's clear that there is not enough overall talent on the roster, and I, it, it's, you, you need to win some games, and you know, playing well is is one thing, but at some point you got to turn the corner and, and win some games. And like I, I had some games on my DVR the other night, I couldn't sleep half the time. I'm up half the night, and I put on the Vanderbilt Kentucky game from I think it was Kevin Stallings last year. Yeah, and there's three in, on Vanderbilt's team, and this wasn't a great. This was a team that underachieved, but there's three guys who played in the NBA in in, in Wade Baldwin, Damian Jones, and um, Luke Cornett, and then Riley Lachance. Matthew Fisher Davis and Jeff Roberson, three really good college players. And that's a good roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just don't see the talent on, on the team this year. Now, I, you can argue, make the argument about the NBA draft picks. I get it. The injuries. There's been a, I, I had this, made this point to a friend the other day. If you start over the Bryce Drew era 
and run it back 10 times, mm. Vanderbilt's probably only in the situation one time. You know, exactly. with the injuries that you know, with the, the injuries that led to Bryce Drew going winless, that led to Jerry Stackhouse, that led to Aaron Neesmith. I'm not trying to make excuses, but we all know the, the brutal injury luck this program yeah. has had. And then, you know, Tyron Lawrence getting hurt too. Not that he was a, a key contributor, but he's a talented kid who will be out at least until this point next year. So, uh, you know, I, I guess my answer is I can see a core that could be decent next year if it all stays together, but that's difficult in college basketball these days. I mean, very few rosters stay together. I, and we don't know how bad the COVID, you know, uh, situation ha- has has affected this team. You know, it looks sounded like they didn't practice much over the holidays because that's when they had that long shutdown. And it's got to be very frustrating for the coaching staff to, to miss so many practice days and not knowing who's in and out in, in some of the injuries they had. I think Jerry Stackhouse is clearly a good coach. I mean, I, you, you watch some of the stuff they run and at the end of the Mississippi State game, they had a great, he had a great play set up. Vanderbilt's down two with five seconds to go. Had a, mm-hmm. Would have been a three on two set up. And I don't know if the ball got deflected or Scotty just lost it. So, um, you know, for those of us, and again, I'm, I'm, Older than you guys, but you guys are can remember, you know, uh, a run of some really good basketball at, at Vanderbilt. It's, you know, it's it's not good to see the team struggling like this. And uh, w- what's the answer? Better players uh, or keeping this core together and watching them grow and develop. You know, we all know in college basketball, the goal for these coaches is to get old and stay old. You know, Vanderbilt's had some success in recent years having a veteran team and they have not had a veteran team the last couple of years. So again, if this core can stay together, we'll see, you know, and normal year next year with these guys together, I think they have a chance to be decent. Yeah. You hit on Kevin Stallings teams under or that team underachieving. And that would be pretty much the story of, of the Kevin Stallings era outside of the 2012 year. And even in that year, the tournament um, didn't work out well. So that, that was a lot of the reason that Stallings sure. left was an underachievement with the talent that he had and his teams consistently came out flat and then you move to the Bryce Drew era where it seemed kind of quit on him. And he did it for lack of a better term. I'm sure that's not 100% true, but that's what it looked like from a fan's perspective. And then you come to Stackhouse and it doesn't look like, it looks like the team plays hard. And the only thing that's consistent about them is being inconsistent in Scottie Pippen. Um, do you see Scottie Pippen making that jump to the pros? Um, or do you see him remaining in college for for the net foreseeable future? You know, I'm far from a scout, um, but I don't see him being in a position to leave for the NBA right now. But it doesn't matter what I think or you think or Billy. Think. Well, it matters what Billy thinks, but no, uh, it matters what what, what Scotty thinks and in, in his in his dad. You know, if they think he's ready, you know, we we see a lot of guys like. I didn't think Saban Lee was ready for the NBA and he's actually playing minutes for the Detroit Pistons right now. So, so good for him. Um, I think Scotty needs to get bigger, stronger and, you know, get better defensively. Um, but he's clearly of, he has overachieved or is much better than of any recruit Vanderbilt's had in, in recent years. You know, it's, I think it's fair to say that he has overachieved his, his recruiting ranking as much or more than anyone, maybe, you know, Luke Cornett, but that was a unique situation there. So, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if Scottie Pippen declared for the draft after this year, but that's just me in, in late January saying it. Yeah. I mentioned, I do want to talk kind of about um, Stackhouse and kind of his ability to develop players. Um, it's been kind of, you know, something to look at, you know, with Stackhouse and kind of his identity at Vanderbilt where he's, he's kind of took Neesmith in his second year, brought him to the NBA. Same thing with Saban Lee. Um, if you look at kind of some of the younger guys on this team right now and kind of projecting, um, who do you think could be a couple of more of those guys that do kind of find their way to the NBA um, under coach Stackhouse's uh, kind of guidance? 
I, I think Dylan DeSue is a guy that you could see playing in the NBA. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, the stats right here in the roster. I mean, you know, we haven't seen enough from Tyron Lawrence or, or you know, Isaac McBride, who's clearly a good offensive player, um, but hasn't hurt and hasn't played much. So I would think DeSue and Studi looks like a Studi looks like a player. You can shoot yeah. the ball. Looks, he's got some athleticism too. So those are two guys right there that I, I would I would say jump out. Um, one guy who's and I think we all like him as a player and seems like a good kid. I don't know what's happened to Max Evans this year. I thought he was a guy that could average 10, 15 points a game mm-hmm. as a senior. He's been very inconsistent this year. We all saw the LSU game last year, and it looks like Stack has been trying to get him out of his funk. He starts him, gives him minutes. And stuff. And that, to me, that's been the big surprise. Like, I, I thought this year, if you could say Vanderbilt would be like a 500 team in the SEC, you know, what would need to go right? I'd say Scotty Pippen and Dylan DeSue would need to take that freshman year to sophomore year jump. Pippen clearly has. Looks like DeSue's doing it. DJ Harvey would need to be as good as Stackhouse thinks he is, and Max Evans would need to be a good senior. Harvey has shown signs lately, uh, but has clearly not produced like they thought he would, and Max Evans has not been much of a factor. So a lot of things had to go right for this team to, to really be a, kind of relevant in the SEC, and not enough of them have. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, obviously, a and game was postponed. Uh, they will play Saturday against Arkansas. So, Mitch, we uh, we're looking. Yeah, we think. <laughs> hopefully, as of right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see if that game even does get played. But, Mitch, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, good luck with the coverage uh, there with, at, uh, I was about to say Athlon, The Athletic. Yeah. I, I, still, I still make that mistake, so it's okay. <laughs> hey, Mitch, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, take care, guys. Well, that does it for episode 66 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. First off, huge thanks to Mitch Light, the college football editor for The Athletic. He was formerly a Vanderbilt sideline reporter. He, he's a graduate of Vanderbilt, so it's always good to dive into Vanderbilt athletics with Mitch Light, someone who's dealt with Vanderbilt most of his life. So again, definitely a great interview with him. For myself, Billy Derrick, Will Byram, and Mitch Light, you've been listening to episode 66 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors.